Hey, this is Ryan Grimes. Welcome to uh, Off the Circle here, episode number 19. Uh, we're, today we're talking about startups. We've got a full house here again. We're sharing mics, so uh, bear with us. Uh, this is Off the Circle. based entrepreneurs and business people learn from their experience and expertise and have some laughs along the way off the circle the indianapolis business scene as you've never heard it before hey this is ryan grimes your host here from my it indie and here to my right is this is joe albano with logic international and the indie startup challenge and harry howe with how leadership you got thor with snapshift this is Diana Morris with Ladybug Collaborative. Stephanie Corliss with Snapshift. And me, Doug Carr. So welcome to another show, everybody. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a show near and dear to all of our hearts, I think, doing a show about startups. So we have some first-time entrepreneurs at the table, and we have some next time, and then we have some people like me that are just tired of startups. But time. <laughs> yeah. I've been a startup for 24 years now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I thought, I, I thought unless you guys got something to get started on, I thought that we'd go with, you know, first, I think for the people with the startups at the table, uh, talk about your startup and how it came to be, you know, what, what inspired you to start it off. And then we'll start to get into the nuts and bolts of the, you know, the challenges and successes of, of having a startup. Ladies first. All right. So this is Diana, and I'm sharing about how this started. It actually started as a frustration of my own. So I've been in financial services for oh, over 15 years working with people. My degree undergrad actually is in sociology, so I'm very interested in human behavior and as I got into financial services, I saw that a lot of the systems are set up in silos, which make it very difficult for people to really know what they have and to understand what options to be able to take a better control versus being taken advantage of. I participated in a graduate program where I had to come up with some, some change in the financial services industry. So right away, since I absolutely love technology, I thought, this is ridiculous. Why don't we have a technological system that gets rid of all the silos, that really brings everything together? So in my brain, I imagine this flowing of information, the data in your pocket or on your watch or um, uh, on your phone that really gave you access in the moment to be able to make smart decisions because we're all busy and we forget what we've committed to and so we overcommit our time and money and that's really how this started so i've been working on it uh, almost three years actually wow and uh and where, what what step are you at now i'm at a very exciting step i actually found some developers two months ago who really liked what i was working on and previously, although I have developers that are amazing, that I know, um, it was a price point issue. Like I could not, uh, I could not bring myself to pay $150,000 just to get an MVP in the hands of users for them to start testing. Right. Like I wouldn't do that. Why would I ask somebody else to put that kind of money out just to validate it, to make sure that, yeah, people actually will like it and they'll use it. Then the, the uh, Ben actually graduated from 1150 Academy, and he fell in love with what I was doing and asked if I would be interested in working with him. And I'm working, uh, we're, we've been working together for about two months now, and they're actually buttoning up the final touches of the MVP. So any, nice. like within the next week or two, we could see it out um, in the store, on the App Store and the uh, Play Store. And for, and for folks listening, MVP, of course, we should say is a minimum viable product. Yes, it's basically right. not something that scales, but something that shows the basics of how the app is going to work or, or how the platform is going to work um, so that you can typically either go get investment or go get your first clients on board, you know, with, with the expectation that it might be developed on the fly or, or, or go into a full development, you know, with investment funds. Well, and Doug, I, th I think you bring up a, a really important point. I, I think that a lot of 
of first-time entrepreneurs especially. They hear that term MVP and they're out there and they want to get that app out the door. And really, as you said, it's a proof of concept. It's a proof that there is a market. You know, the, the MVP for Groupon was email and, uh, and a fax machine, right? It wasn't that it, it was a cheap version of the application. It was a proof of the business model. And, uh, you know, Snapshift has, has gone through that. I know you've gone through that. And every successful company that I've seen has really been about proving the model before or, or having that right balance between proving the model and proving the technology. Yeah. I think that's one of the traps that people fall into, right, is they, they see that bright, shiny thing. They see that app. You know, they have that picture in their mind, and they go, I got to make that thing happen. And then they get hit with sticker shock, and it gets really daunting. Or worse, you know, you spent that big dollar, and then no one wants it. Nobody wants it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, let's mm-hmm. let's talk about Snapshift. So, what was the inspiration, and and uh, and talk about you know when you guys launched and where you're at now? Yeah. So, um, I spent you know almost 14 years in food and beverage and and uh, various positions, but the last decade I've been in recruiting, and so you marry those two together, there there really is no existing solution today to basically ensure that you get great quality staff and you maintain those staff levels day in and day out ultimate goal being the customer experience. And that's what, you know, your, your goal is to get that repeat business. And when you have shitty service, excuse my language, I don't know if you censored that. You can say shitty. <laughs> I got a potty mouth. But, uh, <laughs> um, Fire it, up the bleep machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's Jeremy at? Put the yeah. thing up. But, uh, you know, so th- the idea came about, I literally was in Florida uh, living, um, had a little bit of a hangover, but that's beside the point, you know, my, my brain was hurting. Uh, reality was it was, it was it was this thought, this images, these images that kept coming through my mind about how this could work uh, for that industry. And uh, fast forward, I mean, that was, you know, two years ago. Um, you know, we got here to Indy, dove into a, a powder keg. At the time it was called Verge and really didn't know much about the startup community here. Um, got into Indy Startup Challenge, um, ended up being uh, exactly what I hoped it would be, because I really had no clue getting into that. Um, you know, 10 weeks and, and, and then what, right? But, uh, you know, we were successful and decided we validated enough that it was worth jumping in a little bit further. And anyway, I, I don't even think I'm answering the question. No, uh, you, know, you, you are. are. <laughs> you are. I mean, uh, well, and, and for folks listening, I mean, uh, a lot of times one of the problems that we have is we're so close to the target that we don't explain it for people listening on the other end but so food and beverage yeah. industry has high turnover huge turnover uh, it's over 100 percent a year employees and, are yeah. tough right they they they're low paid paid on tips so they come and go um not really you know it's not the place that you're going to find someone that's going to walk in and they're part-time yeah, yeah well, a, a lot of them are part-time with with or without benefits and so the tough part is if you're a restaurant owner you've got to have a good staff for consistent experience. Right. Well, here's, here's the, so there's a domino effect. And so man, every, every manager we've talked to acknowledges that it does exist, but it's the same old tactics of picking up the phone, texting your brother's sister's boyfriend's cousin to come in and wash dishes. So what happens when you go understaffed, you start to have staff resentment, uh, fatigue, and they finally get burned out, and that's why they're leaving. Yeah, more often. I mean, it, um, and then of course, again, the customer experience suffers. So we wanted to create Snapshift, and the, the whole point of uh, the the mobile app and its desktop now, by the way, is that um, at the push of a button, both parties can find the work they want and have the shifts covered that they need covered. Uh, our record is 18 minutes, start to finish, from hey, I have a need for a bartender. We're getting slammed, and that person clocking in. Yeah. Um, and so we're really excited about that. I mean, it, to us, it's a paradigm change because to pull out your phone and push a button, that, that's magic. Especially when a manager was probably sitting there for how long? Well, right. Absolutely. And not only that, you know, if if a restaurant loses someone, they're not just going to have a, a, a new waitress or a new cook, you know, just start tomorrow. So what's really exciting is that we also rolled out our advanced scheduling feature. So now when you do have that turnover, while you're looking for that perfect fit to come in, 
you know, permanently, yeah. I'm not gonna say full-time, but permanently, you can fill in the gaps with the advanced scheduling. Nice, so. nice. But I think you, you hit on something else too. It's the idea that not only did you take out that employee, but in the old model, how much of the manager's time got eaten up? A lot. Yeah. Uh, time and frustration and anxiety. and At least so 18 are, hours a week yeah. is what we... Yeah, and what are you actually paying your managers to do? They're not running the business. They're literally Just, texting yeah, friends. Such specialized yeah. positions, too. You know, bartender for a, a whiskey bar is not the same thing as a bartender at Applebee's, you know, you need to have certain... So funny he says whiskey bar. That was our first shift. <laughs> that was our first shift. It's, it's yeah. amazing that you guys have narrowed that down and, and gotten 18 minutes. Yeah, 18 minutes. Now, and that's fun. I mean, uh, we can do it. You know, our on-demand application is basically to get somebody there within the hour. Okay. Um, oh, it doesn't always take. <laughs> no, no, that was, it was a, it was a perfect moment in time because it's based on where these people are physically standing. Sure. So this, this gal, this bartender happened to be driving near downtown and there she passed through uh, basically the geofence and was like, boom, here's your push notification. And she pulled on in. Nice. Already in oh, the wow. car. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, loop back around a little bit because I think this whole idea of MVP, I know that, that you went through some refinement. You know, we, we have our own little language, right? We talk about pupil dilation going in there in that moment when you are able to describe the problem in a way where people's eyes just light up. And what was that like for you? Where, you know, where did you start and how did you have to refine what you were doing to get people's eyes to light up? Uh, well, you know, again, Startup Challenge helped guide us on kind of the, the true roadmap, the framework, uh, but we didn't want to lead them. So we want to make sure, A, that the problem really was what I thought it was and to hear them say it on their own. And, and so we, when we presented the what if, what if something like this existed, uh, it was, you know, hot damn, let's do this. Yes, is it available now? And I said, no, we haven't even started development yet. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the next hurdle to overcome, but we wanted to make sure, like you said, you know, to, to prove that the problem did exist and that they'd be willing or be receptive to it. But MVP, I still think what we've got is an MVP. And, and you know, we, we got in the app store and it just, it's a, it's a crazy process. Like the whole year trying to recap what 17 was for us, I could, I feel like it's been a day, but it also feels like 10 years. And, and it, so what I guess what I'm getting at is I think we'll be an MVP status, you know, different versions of that as we keep, you know, trying to refine what it is we're doing to build efficiencies, to get better. Um, and again, I'm going to say it. I don't think I'm answering your question. <laughs> I do ramble around, guys. No, I, it's good. So, keep going. But uh, yeah. Well, and and both both of you guys, the interesting thing is no technical background from a, like building platforms. I mean, just messing around mostly, and I've done a couple of websites. And yeah. I'm I'm curious, so yeah. If I don't know how to do it, I get online or ask questions. Well, going and try from to figure it going out. from making a couple of websites into financial technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. that's part of bootstrapping, right? Because because yeah. what what my challenge was that every time I would uh, approach someone, um, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, an investor or uh, a web development company, I would I would share my idea with them and, and they would be incredibly receptive to telling me, okay, Diana, here's the next step you need to do. And, and literally, I had um, developers and web companies tell me step by step on, you need to develop wireframes. Here are two or three of the best top companies. Figure out how to do it. Take the wireframes as far as you can. And that really is what has saved me the most money because the developers were able to take the wireframes I had designed and build the MVP off of that. So, Diane, I'm curious, what do you see as your biggest challenge coming up in 2018? And when you're done, maybe Thor, you could share with us your challenge, the biggest challenge coming up in 2018. That's an interesting question. For me, it is, I, I, I don't see any challenges. I just see uh, an amazing year, like wide open full of incredible opportunities and adventures and achievements. I'm, it's, it's incredibly exciting. I, I see nothing but unicorns and rainbows and candy canes. And no, I'm, I'm just at a very, after everything that I've been through and as far as I've come, like, the, it, like I, it's all like blue skies for me. 
How about you? No, and that's awesome. Uh, so what I've been trying to share to my team and, and I say to myself a couple times a day, you know, so every day has got ups and downs. And instead of, you can get really low, you know, when you're doing this and you're, you know, if you're first time or even 10th time, there's, there's dips, uh, you know, these major valleys and it's like, it's dark and it's lonely. Uh, but kind of rethinking, resetting your mindset, uh, embrace those downs and, and they're precursors to more ups. And I'm starting to get really excited every time we have even a major down, it's like, sweet. Now we get to make this even better. <laughs> That's so awesome. But eight, feedback. yeah, the mm -hmm. feedback has been yeah. huge. Even the little yeah. stuff that we find like, phew, you know, makes you scratch your head. But um, in 18, our, our biggest challenge uh, is going to be tackling new markets. You know, we've, we've got our proof of concept here in Indy. It's been warmly embraced, and, and what we're doing works. We want to keep doing that, so keep true to our core tenants, add on top of that, and then show it to Columbus, Orlando, you know, you name the city, and that's our biggest challenge is making sure that we can sustain additional markets without spreading ourselves too thin. So. And without losing the users that we've already achieved in all of those markets. You know, startups have gotten this, this kind of aura around them about it's going to be a certain way. And you're going to come in with an idea and you know, there's this just process that you're going to go through. And when we first started talking about, you know, who, who we might invite to this conversation, the reason that we, we picked these two companies is because I think they're a great example of it's not one size fits all. I mean, there's a basic process, right, that you learn, that we taught, that gives you a little bit of a framework to start putting the pieces together. But then it's really identifying the challenges, accepting those challenges as learning moments, realizing that the, you know, the, the big setbacks are really the big steps forward. And you've, you've all done that in your own way. And, and I, I kind of wonder if we can talk about that a little bit and what it was like to kind of go... Huh. What were the misconceptions? Yeah, that's when a great. That's a great yeah, way. What, <laughs> what step did you think you were going to take? That Doug, great way to take yeah. four hundred words I'm and turn it into <laughs> six. <laughs> I'm going to build this, and everyone's going to download it. No, it's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Build it, they will come. It's like, yeah, I'll flip the switch, and we're going to have 13 million users, <laughs> and I'm just going to be sitting at home, you know, playing Xbox. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, thanks to the Indie Startup Challenge, I think. We, Thor and I, knew, especially because we have a two-sided marketplace, we have to figure out that perfect ratio on, on mm -hmm. either side of what's going to work. And, and I think there is a misconception that one side is going to be easier than the other or a lot easier than the other. And, or and, they're going to build at the same rate yeah, in the same right. time. And, and that is actually something, a challenge that we've had to face is one side balloons up really fast because you know, these are the workers, they, they're part-time, they need to fill gaps in their finances, which is perfect that you're here. Uh, so you understand this. Um, and on the venue side, they've been doing it this way, and I can speak from the heart because I used to manage operations for, for food and beverage, but, um, you know, they've been doing it such the wrong way, I'm gonna say the wrong way, for such a long time that they're just stuck in that way. Um, so getting the conversation started with them and getting them to convert takes a little bit longer. Whereas the users, one person on Facebook talks about how they worked a shift last night and made an extra 75 bucks in their pocket. And now we've got, you know, a hundred new people downloading hey. the app. And, <laughs> and your demand <laughs> takes a big jump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. So I mean, it's great, but it's also a challenge, right? Yes, it is. We had a, a podcast a couple of episodes ago. We were talking about the Internet of Things and how technology is changing so many avenues that you know, in, in terms of running a business. And you know, the the underlying theme was we have to get rid of the phrase "we've always done it that way." Mm -hmm. It's really going to hurt, you know, moving forward. And you guys are a perfect example of doing things completely differently. And you know, you guys you talk about a two front you know, business, I was saying, God, that's amazing. Like, you know, if you can answer one person's, you know, one silo's questions and problems, you've, you know, you've made it, you guys have answered two. You know, you're talking about the workers trying to find places to go and you're talking about the, the employers trying to find good help. Like, you guys are killing it. This is good stuff. 
Well, but that's I a big part of it, right, is, is we're solving different problems yeah. in different ways with different kinds of companies. So I think the, the way that we start seeing instead of single marketplace, but multi-sided mm-hmm. markets, two and three-side marketplaces, that's going to increase. <coughs> but also the way that we start these companies is, is going to change, mm-hmm. right? And I wanted to just touch on what D- Doug asked about the misconception. Mm-hmm. Is that the yes. con- misconception, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting thing, so as I've been out there knocking on doors and hitting the pavement, the one thing that I have heard across the board ad nauseum is you need a co-founder. So I'm a solo founder, I'm it. And I'm incredibly passionate and I'm incredibly sold 100% on what I need to do. And this is my, this is my life work. This is accumulation of everything that I've done in my life. Kind of like you guys have both been in the industry and you've seen the issue and you're like, we gotta make this, we gotta fix this, right? And so every time I would talk to someone, again, in the startup community, entrepreneurial community, um, businesses, venture capitalists, so who's your, you know, who's your co-founder? Or you need a technical co-founder. And you know what, going through the Indie Startup Challenge, by the end of it, I realized that's the biggest lie, and I need to quit chasing that. I love it. I, do you think, uh, I have to ask this, because we have two women here. Steph, we've talked about how, mm-hmm. um, how sometimes people just kind of fly right past you. Um, do you think part of that was your gender? Probably. I mean, I, 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 I'm so, like, so generous. I yeah. try not to assume those things. Yeah. But but hearing the stories and seeing the statistics, I, I've I've got to say that I'm, I'm sure I'm sure yeah. it was I'm sure it was I mean even my own my own family so it's like a joke in my family that I'm actually the financial person and that I'm creating this financial app because I was not that smart in high school I wasn't who's who and you know high school students or top SATs I didn't get offers from the top schools so. And I didn't go to a great school and my degrees in sociology. So it's interesting, all of those early startups that you hear about people just coming out of college, it's like, it's like everything, all the stars lined up for them, right? And so our story, mm-hmm. my story, and I think yours as well, is almost like a fly in the face of no. We actually have been out in the world, we've done our homework, we've talked to hundreds of thousands of people day in, day out. We know what the issue is. We know this particular field better than anybody else. And these problems are real. So the testing and the validating, for the most part, we we have a pretty good sense of it. And it was still important in the Indie Startup Challenge. the thing that inspired me the most is, <laughs> of course, the, 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 um, the boss girl, right? <laughs> and uh, some of the other incredible female leaders, and Kristen Cooper at the Startup Ladies, I can't say enough about her, has opened so many doors and inspired me. And actually, this summer, she had a conversation with me and told me, she said, Diana, you just start making videos. You start doing stuff. And, and I thought, you know what? I, that's what I'm going to do. I need to quit postponing and start somewhere. Exactly. Uh, we were doing solopreneurs. It was just get out there and do it. Well, the, the, the amazing, I mean, to Joe's point, right, is one, I think you guys are probably a majority that the majority of businesses and even successful, the ones that are successful today ha- came up from different backgrounds. It wasn't like I, I, I'll give you my personal and people can yell at me or whatever. I think Shark Tank has destroyed this industry. I, I hate it. The only I, reason I'd yell with, at you is to agree with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's because that, that it sets in motion this notion that, okay, first I come up with an idea and then I go pitch it. And then I, I pitch it to enough investors that somebody hands me a check because it's such an amazing idea. And then now I'm in business. And the, the reality of that is, sure, there's people that pitched it and there's people that got checks and they lost 90% of their business when they got that check and they, and they were unhappy and it wound up in legal and, you know, and everything else. And then the business went under because it was listening to the board instead of the passionate person that understood what the problem was in the first place. Like the, there's all kinds of other issues that, and so 
I hate, I, I really do. I mean, I, I have people at the speakeasy that they're just waiting on the check, waiting on the check, waiting on the check. And I keep going, what are you, what are you doing today to move yourself forward? What are you doing to take that step forward? Because that check may never come. Right. There, Look you know? at Pandora, Pandora, the story of Pandora and how many times he had to pitch it and how many times he pivoted before he actually got an investor. Yeah. Well, I like the fact that uh, VCs, you know, the big ones, Anderson Horowitz, I mean, or am I saying it right, Andreessen? Anyway, um, they're saying that they've got enough data now that when they've removed uh, a founder or co-founder and the company falters or fails, it's because of that. Yeah. Even if that wasn't the technical person, uh, the person that architected anything. Because they took the out idea. the passion. The they took idea. the passion well, away. Yeah. That doesn't take a study to figure that part out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that the thing that we, we've heard today and that I've seen over and over again is the people that are truly passionate about it are not just truly passionate about the space, but they're passionate about their customers. Mm-hmm. Right. They can listen to their customers. When I hear when I hear Stephanie and Thor talk about restaurant owners and service Um, and service workers, food service workers, they have an understanding of that space. They can listen and hear things in a way that somebody who doesn't have that passion does. When I hear Diana talk about about people who are starting out and trying to balance their finances, there's a nuanced listening that means they can make those pivots, that they can make the, the, the business appropriate. You know, one of the things that we say all the time is that the biggest reason that early phase startups fail is because they build the perfect solution to a problem that no one cares about. And what these passionate founders are able to do is find out what people really care about Mm -hmm. and then respond not just from their knowledge, but from their their caring for their audience. Well, Well, I think it goes beyond just... You know, use the word customer over and over again. It, I believe it has a lot to do with un- understanding the problem that these people face and having perhaps experienced it yourself, as in particular Thor and uh, Stephanie have. Well, Harry, I think you're absolutely right that, that it's, it's that understanding that problems exist in an ecosystem. It's not just these point solutions. But I think that's also a common misconception that although you might have felt the pain if you experienced it, doesn't mean that everyone does. So you right. still have to go out and validate before you waste a lot of money on something well, and, that no one wants to buy. Well, and, and to, to the point, right, in your guys' business, there's a lot of pen and paper people still in the food and service industry, right? Starbucks yeah. still posts most of their schedules <laughs> yeah. on a wall on paper. You know, so so the thing is, is so you've got a paradigm that you've got to kind of push people over to to, to get buy-in there. I, I wanted to go back because one of the things that I really wanted to talk about today too on that was why why businesses fail. So the, the number one reason why startups fail is that they experience cash flow problems. <laughs> that never happened to us. <laughs> <it>? <laughs> um, and, and specific to what you were saying, Joe, was especially with tech startups, most of those cash flow problems happen because people scale up huge. And it, and it's another one of those the you know get a co-founder get a techie, well the techie is going to say well we need to scale this my God we're not going to be able to have a thousand people on this and it's like whoa whoa slow your horses buddy can we check let's, it with six people yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah let's let's get it to a hundred before we worry about that and so a lot of these companies scale up really big mm-hmm. make these incredibly sophisticated systems. Well, it's not even tech companies. I, you know, right. I, I've seen this with people who like build out commercial kitchens before they test the recipes. Sure, sure. <laughs> and uh, so 42%, Steph, to your point, no market need for the products or services. Uh, 29% just run out of cash, period. Um, 23% don't have the right team. 19%, the, which is the lowest on this poll, is they were outcompeted. So, so the smallest factor was competition. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, that's the one that I hear people talk about the most. Like, oh man, we got to get a patent. We got to get a this. We got to get a that. We got to protect ourselves. And competition is so far down the road. We, that, but Doug, what's interesting to me is what we, there are four or five elements on there. And to me, they're all different sides of the same. Yeah. Diamond, right, different facets of the same diamond. Because every one of them is about if you understand your market and you address your market and you grow with your market, 
then you have a formula for success. If you go in there and you guess and you spend a lot of money without having any data to support it, you lose. But, but that I want to go back to. That's what I want to tell people that when you go see an investor can happen. Because what I, I mean, I've had experience working with quite a few investors in town. And what typically happens is they built a company their way. Mm -hmm. They were passionate about it. They were successful. And now they want to apply that bias to your company, which <laughs> isn't the right fit most of the time. This is the way you know? I built my, uh, my machine tools company. So you should have your, your no, app seriously. build in exactly yeah. the same Absolutely. way. Absolutely. No, yeah. yeah, exactly. We've even seen it in terms of acquisitions where a larger company will acquire a smaller company and in six months, everybody at the smaller company is gone. Mm -hmm. They just, it didn't fit. It didn't work. I mean, they, they, they may still be part of, you know, that subsidiary may be still part of the parent, but everyone who was involved is gone. They've gone on to redo what they did the first time their own way again. And yeah, I've seen companies acquire smaller companies because they think they're the next greatest thing. And then both companies fail. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. That's even worse. That's a lose-lose. That's a really lose-lose. <laughs> Culture is tricky, but that, that's another show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to add something about the, the reason businesses fail. A challenge for, for startups, I believe, is staying humble for founders and developers. Is it, You need to be teachable. As we, as, we, you know, as we see every day, technology is constantly changing. There is no way you can be an expert on everything. And as soon as you've figured out one angle, guess what? There's 20 more out there. Um, I follow financial technology pretty close. It, it, like, it's spinning out of control. It is so difficult to keep track of even the high notes of the, of the news, like what's going on, what's happening, who's doing what. Um, but it, so it's really important to, to be teachable. Like, like you were saying that sometimes people have this idea and they want to protect it. The best thing to do is to talk with as many people as you can and listen to the objections and start knocking through those objections and answering them and figuring it out and, um, and being vulnerable. Yeah. And, and that's critical. And, um, especially, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the IOT of things, especially of really embracing where we're going. Because if you're building a business today, it has to be looking forward five years. I mean, not even 10 years, but in five years, will your business even be, be relevant? Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that uh, I heard at the IoT uh, Indie um, conference that they had, what, a month or so ago, um, was, you know, when you're asked about, you know, should should everything be digital? You know, should I have everything um, online? And and the answer that, you know, that John McDonald gave back was, well, why not? And to me, that was a pivotal moment for me and my app development. I realized because of the question of, do I want to give people the ability to manually enter their finances or to have it synced? That was the decision right there. I was like, you know what? No, it's going to be synced. If yeah. you want to do stuff manually, use somebody else because yeah. I'm not going to invest the time to add that feature because that's not where the world is going. It's a tie to the past instead of a look forward to the exactly. future. Yeah. Well, exactly. Well, you said a couple of things that I really want to key in on. And one is that change has often been seen from a business standpoint as a negative word that, that change is disruptive, change... Uh, it, you know, demoralizes employees, you know, angers customers, everything else. And, and the fact is that we're at a standpoint now, we're at a point now with technology where change is, is the constant, that there's no longer to look at it as a negative word, just understand, like, be exactly what you said, be open to learning, because change is it's part of it's part of the DNA of all businesses right now is that everything is in flux, and it's a good thing because if you're open to that, you're gonna you know tomorrow a technology might come out that would transform Snapshift, and implementing it you know could triple you know the size and and like if you're not 
open to that. If you're just saying, well, no, we just got to make this version perfect first, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to miss it. It's going to fly by. And I, and I think it's really important and, and it's, it's from the top down in companies, CEOs to the lowest employees. We're seeing people leave the workforce now, you know, and I think that a lot of people that are leaving the workforce were frustrated with the change and they couldn't adapt or didn't adapt or chose not to adapt or demanded that they didn't adapt. No, I'm a X and I've always been an X and that's what I'm going to do every day. And so, you know, we're, we're heading into a world where acceleration is the constant you know, with, with technology. We have three entrepreneurs sitting at the table that never built a platform in their lives that said, I see a, I see a problem. We're going to build a platform for this. That's what innovation, that's a door that innovation has opened to everybody. And so it's, you know, I, I think it's just, I, I just wanted to reiterate what you said, because that's such an important factor here is being open that two weeks into your design and your wireframes, you might have to change it, right? Yeah. Well, when and, something and that, comes along. I think that's the thing that we've we've heard a whole bunch is, you know, you're talking about the idea about it's constantly innovating. Thor, you mentioned the idea that you feel like you're always an MVP. And Doug, when you were talking about that chase for perfection, the thing that, that came to mind for me is perfection is just a moment in time, right? Because the world is changing at a rate that it's never changed before, right? All of this technology, all of the communications. And so the idea that hitting your clients, hitting your market in a way that's relevant isn't just this, we're going to, you know, we're going to invent ivory soap and ivory soap is going to be the soap that stands for purity for 60 years, but that what purity means in soap may change from month to month to month. And being willing to listen and being willing to learn and being willing to adapt is all part of that. But also, you talked about that change. It was disruptive, but now it's disruptive in a different way, right? A couple of years ago, I did some original research on uh, what makes, makes employees happy and stay at work. And we found six different things, but the two of them that, that really come to mind here is employees want work that's meaningful, and they want an opportunity for personal growth. So if all you do is just say, this is the way we, you know, we make the sausage, and we can never make the sausage any different, then the meaning and the personal growth is driven out of that. I think, you know, when people talk about millennials and how they can't get the right, you know, have you been in those conversations where it's like, we can't get the right employees now and everybody kind of collectively rolls their eyes and goes, millennials. It really irritates me because the millennials that I work with are incredible. They're in, amazing. I, I, I see none of the... I read these articles online and I go, who are these people surrounded by? Well, but it's <laughs> because I am not meeting these same people. But it's because you give them meaningful work and an opportunity to grow, right? I explained it to those same folks who roll their eyes and say millennials as if it has 72 syllables in it. I say, it's not the millennials don't want to work. It's that they don't want to work in 1950. Yeah. <laughs> Neither do I. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's the point. Yes. Well, in that yeah. sense, aren't we all? All of us want meaningful work. Well, that also goes to you know our education system and what are we promoting and what are we training for and oh boy we just did a soft baseball uh, and you know we're we're still training for worker bees exactly you know everybody says the educational system is broken and my observation on that is no the educational system is doing exactly what it was designed to do it's just not doing what we needed to do anymore. I think it's a, I think it's a big problem when we have people that come out of college and they've taken accounting for three years, but they don't understand what cash flow. Oh my goodness! Is, right? You're speaking to the right. I mean, I, I mean, they can open up QuickBooks and pull a P and L statement like nobody's business. But they but, don't understand how to read. But it. they have no idea, yeah. you know, how it how it's really impacting. The well, business. and to Diana's point, um, you can graduate with a master's degree and still not know how to balance a checkbook. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> or, you, or you think the entire yeah. <laughs> or you think the entire internet consists of Gmail? Uh, yeah. I want to I want to go back. I want to take it kind of on a, on a side this way too from again the pro, the process of so we've talked to you guys that you guys did go the route of identifying the problem. You surveyed people and, you know, obviously talked to professionals to validate that that was definitely a problem. Then you moved forward with a solution, built an MVP, went straight. You guys went to beta 
are you beta right now or, or you're ready now? I mean, we're ready. Yeah. Again, going back to my comment earlier, I, we're always going to be in beta. I mean, yeah. we keep making nice. – we're, we're averaging, uh, at least we were for about two months, uh, an update every, every and I've And I've read that beta is kind of an outdated term. No, we, we use it. Know. I mean, so we did the soft launch in September. Yep. Um, even though I was told, don't do it. Yeah. I, I was like, beta yeah. isn't getting us anywhere anymore. Let's go live. Yep. It broke. Yeah. It was awesome. Fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> Fixed it. You know, made a few apologies. And then, yeah. Um, you know, so it, I look at it as a soft launch because every month we have grown. We've done it minimally, but uh, I got some great advice uh, from old Josh Springer. He said, don't don't just grow to grow for the sake of it. You know, go, go in segments, go as you can because you might all of a sudden have a million customers. And then if you fail... You're, you're, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a major egg on your face. Right. People will notice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people, don't, and these days they'll talk about it and really you don't quick. Recover. So, yeah. No, so that's a, so that's a great point. So controlled growth, you know, so making sure you find the right customers, yeah. people are going to test it, take yeah. it to market, give you feedback, you know, before you go all out. The feedback's been key. We do an exit uh, survey, if you will, nothing fancy, uh, but for both users, once they use us the first time, and we've got a list of six questions. We've only gotten one negative response, and it was actually one negative response of the six questions. Yeah. And um, it, but we were able to address that, and we just had feedback. We were at Kenzie the other night, and one of uh, one of their folks is actually on our platform as a bartender. Nice. And she basically walked us through her mental state when she got that notification about a twenty dollar an hour shift. She was like, uh, wait, uh, so a lot of what she listed out were details that we capture. We just weren't sharing them. Uh, and it's something I wanted to initially, but we just kind of got to, you know, from wireframe to MVP, things change. But, um, but Nat, our CTO was there, and he sat there, and he said, great, done. Like, we're going to fix this now. Yeah. So that, that doesn't happen to her anymore because she's the most vocal. So now probably 30 people behind her had the same, you know, mental uh, – uh, I guess issue with hitting yes to a right. shift. Like, what am I? What am I getting myself into here? Some of the restaurants, though, have also given us feedback too on adding categories to the different shifts. I mean, it, it, the feedback that you receive from going at a slower growth instead of just turning it, because we we've had users in 42 states download us. If we really wanted to, Thor could just say. Flip the switch. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. It's when I see those memes, I'm like, this would be a great one, guys. <laughs> you don't want to be on Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, but you do have to stress the system. You have to make yeah. sure that your system can handle it. And, and Thor's been a good job at. Well, and there's another reason for controlled growth. And that goes right back to the statistics, Doug, that you read. The number one reason companies going under is cash flow and it oftentimes is lack of working capital in an accelerating growth phase that does a company in and and you know if you don't understand that that i believe is is in fact one of the number one contributors to that group who goes under under cash flow it, it's not because um, they didn't have business, it's because they grew too fast and they didn't have the working capital to it, deal with it. And it takes time to dial things in. We had a we had a, a startup that we helped on the north side that, you know, they probably spent from a marketing standpoint, uh, which is a relatively small budget, but it's a it's a small company with no money. You know, they spent about a hundred thousand dollars before they had it dialed in like the that they knew when we first started we had no idea how much it would uh, cost per acquisition you know would be 50 60 70 dollars or whatever well at the end of the year that was dialed into about 15 dollars you know per acquisition and what that enabled them to do was really sit down and go okay now we can budget cash flow now we can identify how many people do we need to add every month in order to add another person on our marketing team or do the next, add the next developer or whatever? And I think that's the other side of it is that there's a period there where you blow some money and, but it's to learn, you know, and it's, and it's to, to make the mistakes, to learn about what it's going to take, you know, as you keep moving forward. 
Well, and, and there's a part of that, that that it gets to be a dangerous time when, when companies start making money. Because one of the statistics that I saw is that slightly more mid-phase startups go out of business as their revenues are increasing than because their revenues yeah. are decreasing. The lines are crossed. Well, but yeah. it, but it's exactly what what Harry was talking about. It's not that the money's not coming in. It's that it's going out faster. Yeah. Right? And so people get that money in and they go, we, we can start doing all this stuff and scaling. And they're scaling, but they're not learning. Yeah. Now, are are you are you self funded with yours? A hundred percent. Wow, that's fantastic! And any plans of ever getting investment? Yes. Okay. So I'm inspired by stories like Evernote that uh, really focused on getting it right and taking the time to get the foundation. You know, so thinking of building a house, really getting a solid foundation. And at the Indie Startup Challenge, over and over, they kept talking about, you know, you have to figure out that cycle. Yeah. What's that perfect? You have to know exactly how many dollars to get the cu- customer to get the return. And once you figure that out, then you can then you can start moving forward. So so I'm really being incredibly calculated yeah. and uh, uh, thoughtful. And, and I appreciate that my developers are working with me on that. I spent the last three nights working hours trying to get my website up. And finally, like after 10 o'clock last night, I sent a message to the developer. I'm like, fine, I will pay for somebody to help me with this because yeah. like, I, I, it's, I can't do anything else right. if I'm trying. So so some again, it goes back to being teachable and, and humble and realizing that there are you have to be able to know when to, to call it. You know, do as much as you can on your own. Yep. But know when to call it. Yeah. And and you guys are self-funded with a little bit of friends and family or? Yeah. No, we had actually the uh, first uh, legitimate investor that reached out to us right after the Startup Challenge is our lead investor. Nice. Nice. Um, and he's awesome. But, you know, still we've been. But talk about that. Yeah. What, what does he's awesome mean? Well, so. Yeah, <laughs> because so, this is, this is so what we've I want to talk down, about we, We've turned down money. Yeah. Because it's it, it's more than just the cash flow. It's the it's everyone talks about network, but can they legitimately open doors for you? But even more so, can they help you define processes, processes, whether that's from sales, operations, whatever it may be? Can they help you build that? Because um, listen, I'm no expert, and I have no degree in anything yeah. that we're doing, and so I'm I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants, and so. They believe, you know, he believes, uh, actually they, we've got multiple, but they believe in what we're doing. So I have to do my, my role. They can help us fill in the blanks with the little stuff that I need to learn still. But it, it's a big deal, though. But we've, we've been self-funded, I mean, on top of that. Right. And you keep talking about, you know, watching that cash flow go out the door. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of the worst. Time for another beer. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness the speakeasy provides free beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I would not. Know why. Cheers. Salute. Yes. Cheers to that. But, uh, I'm empty. I can't cheers. That's why I double fisted it when I came in. Yes, room. Thor came in with so, two beers. <laughs> but uh, Behind the scenes. <laughs> but looking at the return on investment, I mean, because, I mean, if you are not taking a dime for yourself, where are you spending it? What's it, right. what's it allocated on? And then taking a hard look after, you know, 60, 90, even 120 days, um, we're seeing tremendous success on on social um and so we just did our kind of year-end look which excludes december we're at four dollars acquisition cost wow yeah. remove that it jumps yeah. sure. <laughs> but traditional means will work for us at, at, at a certain point yeah. um and we're looking forward to that with future features that we're rolling out we've got I, eyes on enterprise as well but yeah. uh, that's where i think the traditional sales phone calls emails campaigns like that but right now we're driven by word of mouth when um when you got that funding what was the negotiation nerve-wracking or was it you know the, the they helped you through it or um, it was actually very easy going it was like eh, you know that sounds good i was like well that sounds really good too i think and i, I would turn to people and say should i say yes I should <laughs> say and no but we had advisement i mean uh, you know we uh, it wasn't that easy. <laughs> <laughs> Selective memory. Yeah. I mean, and those that forget, 
actually are smarter than those that remember every detail. Yeah. I forget a lot. Yeah. Even if it is on purpose. <laughs> oh, right now, is that a burn? But, but no. I, <laughs> he sure remembers that quote okay. <laughs> I just read it a few minutes ago. He it's remembered to burn me. Well, yeah, man. And, I, and I think one of, one of, one of your... Uh, one of your, I don't know if he's an investor or just an advisor as an attorney too, that works in startups and everything. Yeah, too. So, so he's on our, yeah, he's on our board, but he's in the industry too. And so that's great. Yeah. That's a great thing. Cause, cause that's where I want to go next. Like, I think you're hitting into a position. I always tell people like, you know, you're playing poker with an investor, right? You really are, you know, that, that of course they're in it for the money. They want a good business out of it and a good, you know, a story out of it. But ultimately, they're investing money and they want a greater return on that investment. And so a lot of times, and well, I shouldn't say a lot of times, I'll say I have been destroyed in those meetings, you know, where I didn't even know it. And years later, I came out and, and didn't know that I had a leg to stand on. And then I go watch a Facebook movie and I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I that happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but. You know, where you're going is a really intriguing one. And this is kind of what I want to put down is that you're walking in with two aces showing when you finally go for that investment money. And that's that you already have a growth plan. You already have a working product. You already have revenue. You already know what your cost per lead is. So you're in the captain's chair. Now it's a matter of, okay, well, we are making money. We can scale who wants to be my partner on this? And you really kind of get that hand selection and you guys will be at that point at, you know, whatever round or whatever, but, but it's intriguing to hear that, that difference, you know, is that here's two choices right in the room. Yeah. It, it really is leading by example. My app is about empowering the individual so that then they, when they walk into a bank, when they walk into an investment office, when they call an insurance person, I want them to have the tools and the resources so they can tell them what they need versus being taken advantage of. Yeah. And so it's about leading by example, by not, by not depending on everybody else to take care of me to get there. Um, which has a total parallel with startups. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. So, so, th- so that's my story. Is is really I- I'm in it for the little guy. Yeah. I mean, people have asked me, Diana, why don't you develop something for banks? And in the beginning, this actually started with that idea, and quickly I realized, no, who yeah. needs help? Yeah. It's it's the individual digital consumer that the the if if I can just just speak to. The economy has changed so much. There is nothing out there that helps people that make money, that work for, that are getting gigs on Snapshift. There's nobody that helps them understand like multiple revenue streams. So when you see the person that's doing Uber, that's doing Airbnb, that's doing Snapshift to make income from all these, where's the app out there or the resource that helps them manage those revenue streams to figure out how am I doing? Am I going to accomplish what I want to accomplish? And that's what I, should I be paying quarterly taxes? Yeah. So, so, so that's my goal is, is to really empower the digital consumer. And, and, um, and so, you know, to kind of close that one here, here's, my only advice to people on on that with funding and everything else is I'm I'm a huge fan of self-funding even if it takes a longer time just because it's it's power right you know you guys did it right when finding a partner that's what you really did was you found an investment partner someone that was the expectation was that they were going to be part of your advisory board and help you grow and that's a great and that's a great expectation because some people don't have that well you know to your point though it is a, a game of poker F- self fun as long as you can i mean look yeah. mailchimp or not yeah mailchimp is another success story yeah. i mean some of these companies are billion dollar products because of the founder taking that mindset but um, you know the Midwest is kind of unique. I mean, we've met with dozens and dozens of investors. Sure. Some we've sought out through, ref, uh, you know, doors being opened. By the way, do that. Don't just cold call or solicit them. Yeah, that's yeah. But um, can I get a check? But yeah, you, know, you, you talked about uh, you know an individual that you know came on board at, on our on our board, uh, but he opened doors immediately to the West Coast. Yeah, and we went out there for a week uh, just three weeks ago. 
and they got it within the first 90 seconds. Yeah. Whereas in the Midwest, it's after the first 90 minutes, after Q&A, and they've circled back on emails and email. Yeah. What is the gig economy? It's like, no, 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 no. Wrong question. Yeah. Look at the team. Look what we're going to do. And the, they got it out West. And so, um, but it's starting to trickle back here. So there's some great, you know, we know Elevate. We know a lot yeah. of other, um, you know, even single angels in town. So, it, it, but it's perseverance. Keep spending your money, be smart with it, yeah. but also uh, you know, have as many meetings as you can because you're gonna learn from every failed pitch. Um, you're gonna get a piece of advice from every single person you talk to and just, I, that's my two cents. No, I think it's And, so. and I, I do think, think there comes a time where you, especially if you want to scale, you need to bring in. Yeah, absolutely, if you want to You scale, can't yeah. stall out. Or, you know, if there is a competitor that starts, you know, sniffing on your heels and, and you're still at, the idea phase. I mean, I mean, you've well, got to be you got to be smart about certain things. Well, and it's a huge change, I think, in the financial industry too. That you know, forty years ago, you could go get a small business loan to scale your company. That's not going to happen nowadays. It's just not going to happen unless you have that much collateral. And if you have that much collateral, you probably wouldn't need the money to scale. You know, and so I, I feel like there's been a necessary evil of venture capitalism and angel investors taking the place of what banks used to do. And ultimately I think they are going to be the next banks, you know, that because banks I think are squandering, they're not going to be around for the profit, right? The VCs are, and the angel investors are on these companies that they're building. But even, even at that lower end of investor at the, you know, the seed round, the angel round investors, what I'm seeing, and, and you guys have been out there. So you, Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm seeing they want you to be further along than they did at one point, right? There was the old myth about, you know, I could go into Scotty's with a great idea and a Sharpie and draw it out on the back of a cocktail napkin and walk out with a check. for. It depends on the location for us. I mean, here in the Midwest, they'd like to see, you know, a million dollar ARR and and then they'll they'll talk to you. In California, they really look at the team and the potential. Well, but a, you have to have built out that team, right? right. It's, it's, yeah. You can't go you in can, with just no, a yeah. it's so, not on the back of a napkin. <laughs> but it's not just a, it's the, the important thing to know there, though, is it's, it's not a cultural problem. It's a cash problem. Like that in the Midwest, like I, we did an analysis a few years ago, and it was, you know, there was literally $30 million cash at the time. At the time, there was $30 million cash. Now, that's not assets, but cash to invest into businesses here regionally. Boston had $3 billion that year, cash. Right. And, so, yeah. and so the, so the reason yeah. why businesses here are really strict on how far along you are and everything else is because- They, they can have, be. They <laughs> have to, no, they have to be. If, if you can't, you if know, you're right. if, you're in, if you're in California and you've invested, you know, whatever, you know, a hundred million dollars and, and that money is starting to come back. You've, you've actually got a problem on your hands where you have to get rid of it faster. You, you, otherwise you're going to pay it all in taxes. So an interesting conversation I had in California uh, with a gentleman named Terry was that a lot of angel investors don't actually have the liquidity. They've got a great balance sheet, but they don't have the actual liquid cash to make new investments. It's tied up in other investments. And and so people also have to understand that as well. Yeah. And so I think, I think it was David that I was talking to that said, you know, there's, I think there's two billionaires in Indiana and there was, I mean, there's, well, that two of them died, but I I don't know who got their money. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So two, you know, and there was 32 in the County that he was working in, in California, you know, I mean, that's a that's a scale problem. When so when you're looking at Austin, Boston, and San Francisco, we're a we're a speck when it comes to investment. And then, and and then here, you know, we've got investment islands, right? We've got you know folks like High Alpha, which I think are you know are going to be powerhouses in 20 years. But guess what? They're not investing in companies. They're building their companies, you know, and so. People are going to them with an idea, and it's a high alpha company. It's not a company invested in by high alpha, you know. And so, so it's a, it's we have just a totally different culture here in town when it comes to investment. Well, and so good news. So just this last week, I mean, so, you know, those that we met with, you know, we had some in town. Um, they're looking for reasons, specifically Indianapolis, 
Give me a reason to come back here twice a month. Yeah. And not just one company. They're looking. Well, and we they got one to be like Chuck is, I think, the first person that I've heard that came Chuck away from um, Kinsey Academy. You know, I mean, he purposely came to Indianapolis with his cash, you know, to start a startup here because he knew the burn rate would be slower. He knew that there was a great feeder system of talent, you know, and uh, but interestingly enough, you know, he might he he might be causing trouble too, right? Because he's going to be training people that are going to get sucked to the coast. <laughs> If we don't get him first. If we don't well, get him first. But yeah. he said that his intent was to oh, keep him here. No, abso- so, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But he's been but great there's about a that. giant sucking sound yeah, from there is. Boston, oh, yeah. Boston and San Francisco. Oh, yeah. If, yeah. Uh, when, Kenzie, when Kenzie does a good job, you know, uh, building out the, those students, those students are going to have options, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so we, we're going to have to get really competitive, you know, to keep them. But even still, the ecosystem that he's building that the midwest will be a place of developing talent is still a huge asset to us triple a of you know farm talent (laughs) where we the end goal is to go somewhere else yeah yeah right 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 we gotta keep them here that's why we came here though i mean honestly we looked at austin we looked at nashville i I was born in salt lake we looked at utah they're killing on vc Mm -hmm. money yeah they've got more unicorns we may have just gotten our first unicorn by the way in carmel i believe really that hundred million dollar investment in that biotech company is now valued at a billion so that's kind of cool yeah um but they've got like six in you know small town utah yeah and so but they did they we are where they were at about 10 years ago but that's why we came here because when i left in 2010 and i started to review it and kind of our benchmarks with hospitality but also the technology because again i'm not a coder so we need to make sure we get great people Indy vault well, on top of the list. Cost of living was great too. We were not going back to Silicon Valley where I'm from. Well, and you guys That's for sure. <laughs> this is a this is a test bed for hospitality period, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Chain restaurants come here to test. The menus are tested here. Yeah, it's it's a crazy place. By the way, Steak and Shake used to have their test kitchen in the building I used to work in. And that was my daily. Hey, Thor, come test these new, <laughs> this new uh, Frisco melt. And I was happy to oblige. So I'm That's glad awesome. they test here. <laughs> By the way, one of the, one of the stats that was interesting on, on, on some of the stuff that I read, too, was that um, the most misunderstood industry is the food service industry when it comes to investment and business. That most people think that it's food service that fails more than any other. Even banks, they say, even banks have a bias against the food service industry, but it's actually not the worst, <laughs> right. which is pretty interesting. They said it's the most widely swinging, you know, that companies will, you know, some companies will just skyrocket, others will be gone in a few months. And so it was, it was, it was pretty interesting reading that, that they don't have the worst survival rates of, of, of any industry. The worst survival rates were construction, transportation, and warehousing. So. Industries I came from. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, food and beverage, though, the restaurant is about 5%. That's the national average. Uh, they're, they're, um, they're net you know, to the house. Yeah. And using us, we uh, not bragging here, we're confident that we can probably get that to 8 Yeah. So now we're talking. And then for bars and nightclubs, it's about 18%. We can get it to 25 yeah, I mean, and that—that's and that's huge from a survival those. rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about the the largest hospitality company is Airbnb, and they own no properties. Yeah, right. And Uber, they own we no work, cars. And yeah. Now you know, we work doesn't own any real estate. Restaurants. Yeah. And it goes beyond that, but we really want to help people, and that's I I, I do need to say because it's been it's been important to my team, and that's why I believe they believe in us as a group, um, is they have to go through the real pains, so what's that manager going through, what's the pro going through in their day-to-day. They don't know I set them up like that, but you yeah, know, five days in, they're painful, they're, they're angry, like, I don't wanna do this anymore. I'm like, neither do they. Yeah. That's why we exist. We wanna make their lives better. Right. So that's our mission. But. Well, and, uh, and we're, we're just over an hour, so where do people find you online? <laughs> you can go to snapshift.com or more Fun. Spell that for him too. Oh yeah. So S N A P S H Y F T dot com, or you can have some real fun and look at Thor's beard by going to our Facebook page at Snapshift. It is fun, and we're also in the app stores: Google Play, uh, Apple App Store, 
Yeah, we should say this is a podcast that you have a much richer beard than I do. I get compliments, but that's yours one, is more shapely. That's one hell of a beard. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. <laughs> he looks like he should be on a, a cough drop box, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And for everybody listening. Uh, so there's a couple of different places. As I said this week, I've been actually getting the website up for our first product to market, which is My Financial Zen is our first product to market, which is a mobile solution for in-the-moment financial decisions. And that is myfinzen.com. So M-Y-F-I-N-Z-E-N, myfinzen.com. And we'll put that on the show notes for everybody too. And then, sir? Uh, you, can, you can reach me at uh, logica-usa.com, and logica is L O G. I-K-A dash USA dot com. Fantastic. Harry? Everybody needs a Harry too, by the way. We, we talked about how important teams are, and, and I'm going to break out just for a second because Harry, uh, someone, was you just said, what's your relationship with Harry? And I said, I think he's been working with me for like eight years now. I believe so. Yeah, so, so Harry is definitely... He, what he allows me to do is focus on my business and then all that peripheral stuff that I hate, Harry takes care of, advises me. And if I don't listen, someone else, I should hire someone else to smack me uh, and, and get it taken care of. But, but Harry is a guy that really helps. Can I get the smack you job? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's a long line for that. Um, but, but Harry's one of those people that if you're going to get into a startup, if you're going to get into business, that that's a person that you need at your right hand. Someone that's calm, that understands, that's been through it a hundred times and is going to give you great advice. So thank you for that endorsement, Doug. I, you know, I'm reminded of the phrase that, uh, is the path is worn, but it's new for you. And so yeah. it's helpful to have somebody who's been down that path before. So you can find me at uh, howlead.com, Harry Howe. Ryan? Hello, sir. Uh, Ryan Grimes, president of MyITND, uh, myitnd.com, or email me at ryan at myitnd.com. And you guys know where to get a hold of me, so. <laughs> Facebook <laughs> causing problems. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us. This is a great conversation, and I really hope, um, one, I hope it inspires people that mm -hmm. see problems to instead of waiting for a solution, go, hey, maybe I could go that direction. And then two is take some careful steps along the way, you know, to make some good decisions and get some advice from people that have been there. So um, thanks for joining us today. If you're an Indianapolis-based professional and would like your story to be heard on Off the Circle, contact us at offthecircle.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a glowing review. Off the Circle is recorded at DK New Media's podcast studio at the Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis. <laughs>